So if anybody's interested, that City of Lights, they got some really good music out there. And um, it's phenomenal. So, I mean, all of it's good. And then Phil Wickham, uh, I think we sing another one of his songs, right, Lori? Is that Phil Wickham's that, that what, what's it called again? The Battle Belongs to the Lord. Uh, I listened to that whole album, and it's fabulous that that song's on. So if anybody, I don't know what that album's called, but just find that song and that album, and it's, it's amazing. So, so glad everybody could be here. It's been three years that I have not been able to say, good morning, Bruce. <laughs> so... Um, Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into what we have today. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, in everything. Father, we thank you for Christ, that by grace we are redeemed. Father, that it's your grace that we rest in and that we hope on and that we find ourselves grabbing hold of. Lord, I just pray that now, Father, as we look into your word, as we hear your voice, Father, that you would open our, our eyes to see Christ, Father, our substitute, our King and our Lord. Father, that we would see him high and lifted up, Father, that we would put you in your proper spot on your throne, Father, that, Father, your spirit would come and that he would Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word, Lord. That you would be glorified in all that is said. Father, give me words to speak and help me now, Father. I ask this in your name. Amen. The entitlement mentality. We've all heard of the entitlement mentality. It is described this way. As a sense of deservingness or being owed a favor when little or nothing has been done to deserve special treatment. That is a definition of entitlement mentality. Now, we either know or know somebody or are that person that has the entitlement mentality. And we can see this when we see some of these college kids, they they graduate from college, and once they graduate from college, they think they deserve the $100,000 a year job. Or they graduate from seminary, and they automatically believe that they deserve the pastorate. We have an entitlement mentality that we live in today that we are owed or we are deserved something. But as we sit here as Christians, we have to understand that before God saved us, the only thing that we are deserving of is God's wrath. We are deserving of God's hell. That's what we are entitled to. We are entitled to death, period. But what God gives us is his merciful grace. That's what he gives us out of the abundance of his heart. So what is grace? What's grace? It's unmerited favor. That's what we have. We have unmerited favor. We have favor with God. God giving the undeserved what we do not deserve. This is what God gives us. 
So we have to look at just as God is holy and God is sovereign and God is good and we find all of that source in God, it is the same with his grace. That God is the absolute source of grace. All grace comes from God and all grace flows through God to us. He is the source of grace. Listen to Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace is initiated, it's accomplished, and it's completed in the person of God the Father or within the triune God as we look at these attributes. So what I want us to look at today is the grace in our salvation, that we see God's grace fully and completely in our salvation, in what he has done for us. We do not deserve God's grace in our salvation, like we said. We deserve God's wrath. None of us deserves to be saved. We cannot have that entitlement mentality. We cannot sit here and say, oh, I am such a good person that I deserve to be saved. We can't do that. What we need to do is we need to see is I don't deserve to be saved. And so how can I worship God in such a way that he receives all honor and all glory for the grace that's been showered on us in our salvation? So that's what I want us to look at today. So the first point I want us to look at is God's saving grace is merciful. His saving grace is merciful. Listen to Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So mercy is God's heartfelt pity towards us. That's what mercy is. It's his heartfelt pity towards us. And he's rich in this mercy. Ephesians 2.4 But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive in Christ Jesus, right? That's what verse 5 says. But God being rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Again, we see in Psalms 136.1 that this mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. In 1 Kings 3.6, his mercy is great. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. His mercy also is plentiful. In Psalm 86, 5, David writes, Thou, Lord, art good, ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy. His mercy is tender in Luke 1, 78. Though the tender mercies of God, whereby the day springs from on high, hath visited us. His mercy is abundant in 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And finally, his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalms 103:17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness 
unto children's children. God's mercy is magnificent. It is glorious. And it's what he has on us all the time. And it never runs out. It's abundant. There's plenty of it. We can never outuse his mercy because it flows out of his grace. It's that mercy that is given to us, undeserving of his mercy, fully deserving of his wrath. So we see in our salvation that God's grace is merciful. We see that God is gracious in his choosing of us. He's gracious in his choosing of us. Just like when, we, when you go to an adoption agency or you go to adopt a dog or adopt a puppy, you go and you look and you see which one you want to choose. Right? Not all of them are coming home with you. But you choose the ones you want. We see God's grace in that very choice of us. Understanding we have to keep in our minds our salvation is undeserving. God doesn't have to save one person. Nobody is deserving of this. So in his choosing of us is grace. His choosing of us is gracious. In Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We studied this when we went through the book of Ephesians, right? where God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That means that God chose you and I before we were even born, before he formed the world, before you or I either did anything good or bad. He had already set his affections on us. His grace was already on us. It was already flowing over us. It was the waterfall that was dumping on us of his grace before the foundations. We see it in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and the beliefs. And then Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of the words, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages. Now, this word calling is interesting. He has called us to himself. Now, if, well, this is a good, good group because we all know what telephones are. We don't, we actually could use them as what telephones are used to be, right? So if I dial up your number and I call you, well, you're either going to answer that phone call or you're not going to answer that phone call, right? But if it's an effectual phone call, you're going to answer the call. And it's the same thing when God calls. There's two different calls that we see in the Bible. We see this general call of the gospel for all men everywhere to repent. We see that general call. But then there is the effectual call. The effectual call are the ones that God has chosen. Those that he has called himself to him or he has called to himself. That's the effectual call. This is why one person can be sitting here and hearing the gospel and another person sitting here and hearing the same gospel and one responds and one doesn't. It's not because one is smarter than the other. It's because the effectual call went to the one who needed to hear the call. That's why we have an effectual call. Acts 2.39 for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
You notice it's not of us. It's not of our works. God is the one who calls us to himself through his grace, by the Spirit. Romans 1.6, including you who are all called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 11.29, in regards to this calling, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means God's call can never be reversed. It can never be repeated. It can never be lost. When God calls you to him and God calls you by his saving grace, you are saved. You cannot lose your salvation because his call is irrevocable. So we can't sit here and say, oh, what a wretched person I am and God doesn't love me. No, God loves you. He has called you to him. Live that way. Also, we see God's call or God's grace in regeneration. Now, regeneration is the process. What the Holy Spirit does is he regenerates us. That's what he does. He makes us new. He makes us brand new. That's what the word kind of refers to. It's a brand new being, a brand new person. We get this when we look at, uh, in I think in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says that we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. We are a new creation. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. So you want to know why we respond to the call? This is why we respond to the call, because the Holy Spirit is already doing the work in us. When you see somebody walk the aisle or you see somebody raise their hand, that's because the Holy Spirit is already working in them. Let me ask you a question. If you said the sinner's prayer, did you have faith before you said the prayer or did you have faith after you said the prayer? You had to have faith to say the prayer to begin with. The Holy Spirit was doing the regenerating work in you already. You said the prayer because the Holy Spirit was already working in your life. That's why you said the prayer. Because you had faith. Because we can't have faith. We don't have faith to believe in God unless God gives us that faith. And this is what the work of the Holy Spirit does. Listen to Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted... Look at that word. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. And this is a faith that we previously never had. 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. We've obtained this faith. It wasn't ours. Believers are born, we are born of God we're not, we not born of human will. We're not born of human choice. And this is what uh, the Apostle John writes in John 1.13. Who were born, these are people that, that Jesus saved, who were born not of blood, that's human lineage, nor of the will of the flesh, that's our human will, nor of the will of man, that's our choice. Notice what he says, nor of this, right? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will, of, of the flesh, nor the will of man. But how? But of God. We're born of God. This is God's grace. This is God's grace in regenerating us. This, in, this regeneration, it's, it's independent of man. Listen to James 1.18. Of his own will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 
You notice it's not of independence of man. We did not do it. The Bible is clear. Of God's own will, he brought us forth. This is his work. This is his grace. This is why he sits high and lifted up in all of his holiness with his sovereign rule and his goodness. He brings us forth by his grace. And everyone that believes in Jesus does this because we are born again from above. We are born again from above. Charles Spurgeon used to always say in his sermons, you must be born again. You know why he, and then someone asked him, why do you always say we must be born again? You know what his answer was? Does anybody know what his answer was? Because you must be born again. Real simple. And this is from above. Listen to John chapter 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's our regeneration. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it in its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We must be born again from above. And this is an amazing passage when we look at it, right? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's sitting there, and he, and he asks the question, how can one, you know, enter? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I love this passage because he's talking to a Pharisee, the one who knew the Old Testament, who knew the Torah. And Nicodemus didn't see the kingdom of God right before him. He was standing in front of the kingdom of God himself. And he was blind. He didn't see it. We, we, we talked about it today in the Sunday school. How many people in the Gospels saw all the miracles of Jesus and yet never believed? Nicodemus stood right before the King of glory and he didn't see the kingdom of heaven until later on God opens his eyes to the kingdom of heaven on the cross. Beautiful picture, beautiful picture. So we are born from above. So we have this grace of God in the regenerating work of us. The grace of God in our justification. Romans 8.33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He is the God who justifies. This word justification is declaring one not guilty. When God justifies us, we are not guilty. We are no longer condemned according to Romans 8.1, right? Therefore, those, uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is this declaration that we are justified. We are taken off of death row. Our sins are not counted against us. This is God's grace. Brothers and sisters, your justification, your, your being declared righteous in God's eyes, perfect in God's eyes, is a gift of His grace. Romans 3.24, 
and are justified by his grace as a gift. We stand before a holy, holy God, completely justified because he is gracious and it is his gift, not because we did anything to deserve it. God justifies undeserving sinners. His justification is apart from the law. It's not us being obedient to the law. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified faith apart from the law. This justification brings us peace with God. In Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this massive reversal as God imputes our sinfulness and he gives us Jesus' righteousness in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This all is his grace. And this grace of being justified flows into his grace of forgiveness. He does not have to forgive. He is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous and he is just. He does not have to forgive. This is all his grace in our salvation. Nehemiah 9.17 He is the God of forgiveness. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Oh, wow. What a, what a tremendous God. Look at how Nehemiah describes that, right? You are ready to forgive. God is gracious and he's merciful and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and he didn't forsake them. Man, what a beautiful picture of what he does for you and I. The Hebrew word for forgiveness means to lift up or to take away. That's what God does in his grace. He takes our sin He lifts it off of us, right? Those who are weary and heavy laden, right? Those who are burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. He lifts it up and he does what? He takes it away. He takes the burden of our sin away from us. Graciously, he does this. We see this in the New Testament. The New Testament The forgiveness means to send away or to send forth. And we got this picture with the scapegoat in in Exodus. There was a goat that would be, there'd be a lamb that was sacrificed for our sins and then there was a scapegoat. And what would happen with the priest would come and he would take all the sins of all the people of all of Israel and he would lay them on the scapegoat. He would pray them on the scapegoat and then they would send forth the scapegoat out of the camp, as far away as they can, symbolically meaning that he's sending the sin away. And this is what the Lamb of God completely and fully does for you and I. He lifts it, he takes it, and he sends it completely away with his sacrifice. Listen to Ephesians 1.7. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And in John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. David writes of this forgiveness in Psalms 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Again in 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Psalm 133 and 4, If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, who could stand? Nobody. If God regards iniquity, None of us stand before him. We are all condemned to hell forever if he regards iniquity. But he doesn't say that. It keeps going. But you, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Oh, brothers and sisters, we should rejoice We should be brought to our knees. We should worship God for this forgiveness because he's removed it as far as the east is from the west in Psalms 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is what he does. Therefore, we find grace in his redemption. He is the one who has redeemed us. God is the redeemer We do not redeem ourselves. That's the whole book of Ruth. Read the book of Ruth and you see Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. Likewise, God is our redeemer. Isaiah 41, 14, the prophet writes, Fear not, you worm Jacob. Man, how would you like to be told that? Fear not, you worm Faith Bible Church. You men of Israel, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 43, 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the sight and the ships in which they rejoice. But that part I want you to see. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. And our redemption, we see our redemption fully in Christ's death. That is where our redemption was paid. That's where our ransom was paid. It was paid for in full by the blood of Christ. Our debt completely removed as God nails it to the cross is what he does. Again, Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In him we have redemption. We are redeemed. Our ransom has been paid by the blood of Christ. Therefore, Jesus frees us from our sin. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Peter confirms it in 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. That was the payment. And in Titus 2, 14, the Apostle Paul tells Titus, who gave himself for us to redeem us 
from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God's grace in our redemption. God's grace in our sanctification. Sanctification is this process of being made holy. God is making us holy. That's what he is doing. This is the work of God that he makes us holy. Sanctification changes us into the image of Christ. That's why he says that all things work together for good for those who love God. That's because he's using all things, everything, good, bad, low, high. He's using all things to conform us to Christ. Do you see that in your life or do we wallow in it? He's using all these things for our good to conform us to Christ so that we will be like Christ. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new self which being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is sanctifying work that God is doing in our lives to make us just like Jesus, and it is God's work, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God then is the one who gives you and I the strength to live the Christian life, to pursue holiness. He's the one that gives us the strength, Second Peter May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power, here we go, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God gives you and I everything, nothing lacking. We're not lacking in one thing. We cannot sit there and say, God, you did not give me this. Not lacking. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, even the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to live that life. He's given us everything. And this grace, when we live this life, it gives us eyes open wide to see that God's grace in our glorification Brothers and sisters, that's what awaits us. That's what Mike Lohr's brother is in right now. He is in glory. And that's what awaits us, is this glorification. We see God's grace and that he glorifies us. It is the work of God, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. This is Paul's thing. He's confident. He's confident of this one thing. That he who began a work in you, that God who began the work in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's when we will be in glory with him. God is the one who does the saving work. God is the one who brings us into glory. Just imagine that. Can you imagine that one day when you close your eyes and you breathe your last and your eyes open up? and you're in absolute glory. I can't imagine that. I mean, what a 
what a vision that'll be that we open our eyes up and there, there is Christ. There's Jesus in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, in all of his glory. There, wiping your tears away with his hands as you see the scars in his hands. Wow, how precious that will be. And brothers and sisters, that's nothing of us. That's all of God. That's all of God's grace. We have done nothing to earn it. We have done nothing to deserve it. It's all of his grace. This glorification we see in Romans 8.30, it's a, it's a done deal. Paul writes it in the past tense. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like I just said, written in the past tense. Paul writes it in a way that this is a done deal for the believer. A done deal for the believer. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first roots to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit's by the Spirit's belief in the truth. And verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may attain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, salvation, our salvation, your salvation, my salvation is all the grace of God. It's all to his honor. It's all to his glory. Salvation belongs to the Lord, says Psalms 3.8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Salvation is God's, and he gives it to us. Listen to what G.S. Bishop writes as we close. Grace is a provision for men who are so fallen that they cannot lift the acts of justice, so corrupt they cannot change their nature, so adverse to God they cannot turn to him, so blind they cannot see him, so deaf they cannot hear him, and so dead that he himself must open their graves and lift them into resurrection. So brothers and sisters, may we look at salvation in this way, may we look at God's grace in this way, that God the Father is the fountain of all grace, For he purposed in himself the everlasting covenant of redemption. That God the Son is the only channel of grace. That the gospel is the publisher of grace. And that the Spirit is the one that applies the grace. May we praise God for our salvation. May we understand that our salvation is the work of Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone, through the scripture alone, to God be the glory alone. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for this time that we could look at your word. Thankful, Father, that you are the God of all grace and all mercy. Father, thankful that you sit high and lifted up in all your holiness and in all your glory. And that, Father, in that we are recipients of the fountain of your grace as grace flows from your throne to us, Father. Thank you that you are that fountain. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the very person that that grace channels through. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you came and you died for us. And thank you, Spirit, that you are the one who applies this grace to our hearts. And now I pray, Father, that we would be people 
that would be so enraptured by your grace that we would go and that we would live a life filled with this grace, that we would be lights that shine brightly for you. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.